on Zoom for like a year. Uh, and it's yeah, just... well, that's what everybody does. That's uh, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Listen, yo, I'm right? Like, no, if you if you want to talk to me, fine, but I don't want to have to look good on camera or worry about what's in the background for some psycho to figure out where I live. You know, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. so. Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm just, I'm thinking ahead. Sorry if it's inconvenient. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is the way we, you're, 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 you're making us go back to the old school ways. So thank you so much. That's right. And just like when you used to make records, like in in a cave. Yeah, yeah. So, yo, Red River Podcast welcomes. Uh, this is like one of those times where I'm like, holy shit! I'm like, we have a stupid podcast from Long Island, yeah. and we're talking to Eerie Vaughn, amazing, of, of Sam Hain and fucking Danzig. Yeah. So, thank you for that's doing. No, it. That's no big deal. Everybody's got a podcast. It's no big deal. Don't feel special. <laughs> it's all right. It's a flooded market for sure. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't feel special. Everyone plays bass, but I mean, you, you did play. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Well, I, that's why I don't. Don't do it anymore i just i leave it up to everyone else yes um well thank you so much for 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 uh you know doing this with us man it, we wanted to kind of um I, to, it really what it was is like one day i'm like listening to like lucifuge and i was like uh-huh. i'm wondering what the like like you do yeah, yeah. i'm uh-huh. like what the fuck <laughs> where where is john and eerie right now and like every now and then like we, like everyone it, when it comes to a podcast, it's like you, I don't know, people just have on like, you know, the same people. And to me, I'm thinking like, I want to talk to like dudes that really meant something to me, you know, sure. be like guys that like we, that, that like I'm, I have a crimson ghost tattoo on my arm and, and both, I, yeah. I covered I the it up. One too. Oh, you got the <laughs> Sam Hain one. <laughs> yeah. And I covered it. I covered up. I had a jailhouse misfits tattoo that I got when I was in jail <laughs> yeah. and I put, you know, and then like, I just wanted to like reach out and just kind of like touch base with you. And, and, uh, thank you. Like I said, again, for doing it. So how are you, Yuri Vaughn? Oh yeah, fine. I don't know. I just woke up, you know, so far I'm good. Okay. Um, you know, I have, you know, it's, it's nice out. It's been raining here for a week. I'm like, Oh, look, son, you know, um, but that doesn't really matter. I probably won't even get out of the house today, but, uh, yeah, fine. Doing what everybody else is doing, I think, but I'm in Kentucky. So it's not exactly the same as everywhere else, you know? So, um, everybody here, I'm not sure what the rest of the world is doing, but everybody here's a little, they're not all wearing masks and stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, oh, I go in and count people not wearing masks, you know. Uh, and I come come back and go, it's like, how was it outside? And I was just like, oh, man. I went into a dollar store, and there was seven people in there, and six of them didn't have masks on. I was <laughs> like, I felt, I felt so superior. Yeah. I was like, so, so, so other, you know, other than that, Everything was okay. I said, no, it was, oh, it was really ugly out today, you know? Um, so and people were moving really slowly and talking slowly, which, you know, really, it fills your whole day, really does, you know? If you just, if more people from, especially from people up north and in New Jersey and New York and stuff would realize if you just moved slower and talked slower, you wouldn't have to do so much, you I know? Like I, I got, I got it. I got been down there a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, if you sit down and think about it, it's a real method. And if you do that, then half the day is gone anyway. You know, <laughs> you've been down there a long time. Or? Oh, I've been in the South for quite a while. Yeah, well, I lived in Nashville for almost ten years, 
and let's see, I was in Florida for like four years, maybe more. That's kind of blur. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I lived in Indiana for like another four years, which is like South Light. You know, it's it's like it's almost the South, but even though it's, you know, further away. But they think like that, you know. What what does that so. do? Like, uh, like obviously, uh, you're a songwriter. I'm a songwriter too. What does that yeah. like, do? Like when, like uh, sometimes you need like inspiration. Like sometimes I I don't have lyrics to sing. Like the more you move in like the different places that you go to, like does that help? Like you write lyrics or like does it help? Oh you yeah, write? yeah, yeah. If you're if you're you know creatively inclined in that way, um, you can't help but pick stuff up if that's the kind of songwriter you are. You know, like just just moving in general, um, getting a new car or uh, picking up a, a new guitar. Everybody says, oh, as soon as I got this guitar, I saw, I wrote a song, you know, so all that shit happens. I've written some stuff that's great. I'm like, yeah, I was at Big Lots and I somebody said this in the line in front of me. And I was just like, oh, that's a good line for a song. So I go home and write it, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, it's totally it's totally crazy. But you know, if you write about your life and you know, well, not exactly about your life, but just stuff that happens, then yeah, it's great to move around and um, and go different places because you know it's it's either really good, all the songs will come out really like yeah, this isn't so bad, you know, whatever, or it's really <laughs> miserable. You know, be like, oh, I hate it here. Everybody sucks. You know? So, and and when you like move around, like the hardest thing, even like here, like uh, uh, you know, on Long Island, somebody would be like, I need a drummer. I've been looking for a drummer forever. I need a guitar player. Oh yeah, that's always a problem. Yeah, right. So when you move around, like it's just like, hey, do you want to start a band? Like, uh, I'm sure, but I mean, like the amount of touring and places that you've been to in your life, I'm sure you've accumulated like contacts and friends. Oh yeah, you do, but you forget all of, all of them. You know, it's like I'm, I'm still friends with like a certain bunch of people from like the beginning of going on the road till the end um, and all like people in between the ones that could really help you with anything like, you know, your career or whatever. <laughs> no, don't 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 know any of those people anymore or I forgot their phone numbers. You know, I'm like, oh, I got so and so's phone number from 1986. I wonder if it's still good. Yeah, you're you know? right. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like it's yeah. it's funny that you mentioned it, like from like the touring with like uh, Rosemary's Babies or like you know whatever you were doing. I don't know if you did any yeah. touring on Kind of Country, but everything in the middle. <laughs> like, do you still have Rick Rubin's number? <laughs> yeah, but it's not the right one. Oh, okay, you yeah. know, I'm sure he's yeah. had 18 by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I actually probably only ever had his assistant's number because I never called him. Like, what the fuck am I calling him for? You know, I would just, run, you know, he would be either at the session or the phone would ring and somebody say, answer the phone. And I'd be like, hello, studio. Who's this? And it's like, hey, it's Rick. You know, and I'm like, he's like, what do we do? Where were, where are we at? That's what he used. Where are we at? I'm like, well, we just did the uh, basics on two songs. We're going to listen to them now. And, uh, and that's it. Everything's going good. And he's like, okay, call me in an hour. And he'd hang up, you know, <laughs> then, then the phone would ring again and it'd be like, same thing. And somebody would tell him what we were doing and he'd be like, okay, I'm coming down. And then he'd come down. And the first thing he'd do is like, anybody hungry? Let's order lunch. I'm like, dude, we're, we're, you know, we, uh, you know, we could order lunch. No, let's eat lunch now. Yeah. You know? that, that throws so, you off too. Like when you're recording, like, I don't like to, like, I just like to get it done. Like, I'm not looking to, like, hang out, especially in the studio. 
Um, I mean, back then, well, I'm if sure- you're if you're paying for it, that's what all, that's the whole thing. Every great record was driven by the bottom line. Come on, we got to get this done. Yeah. You can't afford this, you know. So it's been like that since you know th- they started recording, you know. But that's it's nice. That's why you get these records, these guys. When you first start, you're you're actually paying for the session at the end of the session, right? So by the time you start selling any records, it's like, ah, come in on Thursday. We'll see what happens. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, it's like the, the, you go, how much is how much was the budget? The bu- oh, the budget on the first record was like, you know, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, we're getting 250 grand. I remember that once. And we're like, Holy yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, well, that was good. You know, I mean, come on. But you had to you realize, oh, yeah, you're you're moving up in the world. But the studio costs like a billion dollars. It's not like you're paying oh, $40 an hour like we used to do, you know. No, it's like, yeah. okay, $40, we can do, we can uh, save up. And that's like 300 bucks, you know, or whatever, something. I don't know. And then we we had to wait till like two next Tuesday or like two weeks from now to to come up with the money, you know. If you got the money, or the studio the- like is like a million dollars, and then you got a you got a producer, you got to pay him a million dollars. You got to pay a really two good inch engineer. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, right, exactly. I forget how much tape was, but it yeah. wasn't cheap. No, it wasn't cheap at buy, all. <laughs> yeah, we used to we used to get used tape. You know, the stu- some studios would have like reels of tape, like they just recorded somebody and for some reason they still have the tape. So they just, they just <laughs> said, yeah, we'll, we'll just, re- we'll just re- record over it. And we're like, is that good? And they're like, yeah, it's better. The tape's already stretched out. You know, it's like broken in. Perfect. perfect. You know, <laughs> and we, yeah, we used, we used to go, Oh, that's good. And we didn't fucking know anything. Yeah. What do you mean? It's broken in to me. Out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. To me, it sounds like some of the shit might be, falling off the back like it does after a while you know so anyway the the difference (laughs) like like let's say kind of country right like you it sounded like you recorded that like you wrote everything you did everything yourself so it's amazing like the difference now right like and that was even like what 12 years ago like how did you record kind of country i just had um i had i used to record all the demos and stuff and i did a record on like uh it was uh I think it was a four-track cassette tape player, and then I just bounced everything until I made it into like an eight-track or a nine-track or something. But I got this digital recorder thing, and it was basically the same thing because I couldn't figure out how to work it right. And you could go up to like, I don't know, 64 tracks or 90 tracks or a million tracks. Yeah, something like that. But I couldn't figure that out. So it wound up being like as many tracks as they gave me in the first place. And I would just even bounce stuff then. So I had like a 16 track, maybe, if I could figure it out. And I just recorded it digitally and had to do everything myself because I was in the woods and there was nobody around. Um, And I could only record drums at certain times of the day. You know, I couldn't record them at three o'clock in the morning. You know, but I did a lot of stuff like a lot of guitar leads and shit at three o'clock in the morning. Was even some of the songs, you know. And I'm like, oh, I forgot to tune up. Oh shit! <laughs> now I can't. Now you can't tune up for any of the songs, you know, or I mean any of the track or you whatever. But yeah, oh, I was 
I was like, I was used to recording like a real person in a studio with people going, "Can you? you would you like some tea or something to drink?" You know, and uh, then they'd just do it all and sit home and it'd be like, "This sucks. This is boring. I hate this shit." You know, it's more fun playing with people, and uh, it's just like, yeah, but you know, there's nobody here, so you know, I just had to do it that way, and that didn't cost me anything. You know. <laughs> That so was great. Um, Sam mentioned your kind of country album. And one thing that's interesting about your career overall is um, if we can get into your influence and stuff. Because, sure. I mean, obviously, there's a heavy punk influence, but there's such a, uh, Americana music, country, blues runs heavy in, in, in the Danzig albums. What, 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 like, music bug bit you early on? What, what got you into it that you wanted to play? Um, yeah, a lot of stuff. It was pretty varied, but I grew up on like, um, the fifties type stuff. My dad was, my dad and my mom both graduated like 55 and 58. So they were listening to rock and roll and doo-wop and stuff like that. Um, plus we were on the East coast. So there was a lot of that and everybody was in a band. Um, and then later on, whatever my dad played, you know, on the radio and like Motown was big. He liked some country stuff. Um, I remember like the first country songs I heard were like Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline. Um, and then, you know, in the seventies, so country got big in the seventies, had a resurgence and he played a lot of that shit and was all on eight tracks, like Charlie Rich and Kenny Rogers and oh, a lot of crap I didn't like. <laughs> but I I know them all now. I yeah, can yeah. remember all the fucking words to all these songs I hated, you know. And I'm like, oh, they're not that bad now. And I'm like, yeah, some of them still are. <laughs> but there was then then my dad liked disco. Like all of a sudden the Bee Gees were all over the place, and he loved Saturday Night Fever. Like holy shit, I can't stand this. Good thing punk rock showed up because my sister was into punk rock, so we could counteract the disco that was going on at the same time. So, what was yeah, like the was, first punk rock that you heard then? Because I mean, you were there. Yeah, the um, uh, the first song I can remember, remember really, was uh, probably something off. Yeah, um, I think it was "Teenage Lobotomy" was the first yes, punk nice. rock song I heard. Uh, my sister, you know, she's a couple years older than me. Um, she was already going to clubs, and you know, being influenced by friends and stuff, so she was picking up records. And that, and she would listen to them, and then I, I had a room like down the hall, and I was playing like the Beatles and stuff like that. Um, that she would come in and say, "Oh, you got to hear this, you know. Oh, come listen to this. This is a band. I just I got this album, whatever." So that was really cool because, yeah, like I said, um, my parent. I also did my parents' record collection, which was a lot of compilations of like the hits from last year. Or whatever. So it's a lot of sixties, uh, like uh, top forty, and then like all the Beatles shit, you know. So yeah, it was, it was across the board. So all that stuff just seeps out, you know. Whenever you're writing songs, you just I was like, oh, holy shit, that sounds like that, you know. Or it could be, could be this or that, you es- know. Especially the Ramones. The Ramones were very like, su- like to me. What I always loved. Uh, listen, I love the heaviest of the heavy and the softest of the soft. But to me, melody was always a big deal. Like melody. Oh yeah, totally. Melody. It's gotta was... be a good song. Gotta yeah. be a good song. Yeah, it's uh, for sure. Yeah, the, and hey, I know where you're going. The Ramones were all, they, they were pretty close. They were all like Glenn's, Glenn's sort of era, maybe a little bit older, but they all grew up on like the garage stuff 
and and all like uh, pops songs from the 60s and stuff you know that was their high school years so they loved those you know basically the ramones are just like 50s songs that played a little faster and don't have don't have any like flair it's just like basics you know just just the good parts (laughs) yeah it's you know it's just like well this is because i totally understand like when we were doing the earlier shit we couldn't play anybody else's song so we just wrote our own song because you couldn't make a mistake it was your own song you know but if you had to sit down and figure out how to play this track off the radio or whatever, just so you could be in a band or just so you could, you know, start playing. It's just like, oh, I can't figure out Jumping Jack Flash or whatever we were doing at the time. It's like, oh, everybody was playing Back in Black by ACDC. I remember that in high school. So, you know? so right. It, like, when you, it, <laughs> that's why I remember always buying like guitar magazines and trying to like learn tablature. Like I'm 43 years old. So like that was definitely like my like I just caught the tail end of it. And I remember yeah. I remember growing up and, and listening to Metallica and, and looking at Kirk Hammett. And being like, I could never do that. I was 10 watching like the one video. But then as I got older, I picked up a, a Black Flag record and I heard Greg Ginn. I was like, oh, I could do that. And Greg Ginn just like blew my mind because I'm like, it sounds like he's playing all the wrong notes. But like the dissonance just really made sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, I thought that, too. I'm like, it sounds like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's just like I could do that, too. You know, it's like, yeah, that was the great thing about, you know punk rock garage stuff or whatever that you know it, that it was happening 10 years before punk rock and then it happened again you know and it still happens it's like people are like i just want to be in a band i want to like do stuff i want to have fun with my friends i want to go to shows and stuff so you just you just do it that's right you know playing, that, playing. That, yeah of course you can't you can't look at kirk and go, yeah, I can do that. Cause <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember looking at him and going, yeah, the, the, he, he practices a lot of, but he's never been laid, you know, shit <laughs> like that. You know? He does have a nice guitar though. He's got a lot of those famous monster guitars, but. Oh, he got that one. He got, he, didn't he just buy like some million dollar guitar? He used to belong to Peter Green. I th- right. Oh yeah, you know? you're right. He did. You're, you're absolutely right. He yeah. Did. I heard, I heard about it. It was like, mythical guitar used to belong to Peter Green and, um, who else? Like, uh, some, uh, Roger Moore, or some of the guy, the guy who played James Bond, but he was in, but he was into guitar. No, that's no, it's Gary Moore. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gary Moore sounds more like it. <laughs> right. But yeah, like yeah, I, the guy who played James Bond. Yeah, that's him. He, uh, listen, um, Roger Moore was my favorite James Bond though. Oh, oh man, you need you need help. Ah, come, come on. on. But it's like uh, it's the age Pierce demo. Brosnan guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're no, he, yeah, he was the horrible <laughs> Bond in the 70s. You know, no, Sean Connery's the only James Bond. Come on. All this the, the guy's been playing for the last few years. He reminds me a lot of Sean Connery. He's he he's real good. Yeah, uh, um, Craig. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're saying, oh, he's not doing them anymore. He's gonna. This is his last one, and now they're gonna have a. It, I think it's time for a woman James Bond. They said. I'm like, oh, please, give yeah. me a break. <laughs> Leave James you know, Bond. Like, of course, of course it is. Why don't we just let women do everything? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We should really take a break. You know, the rest of us just, just, you know, men should just like, I don't know, do nothing forever. You know, for like a hundred years and say, okay, let's see how it goes. 
know. Let's see how it goes. We'll just we'll just take a break. Yeah, you wanted this job. Now you got it. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be in the bathroom fixing a toilet. Yeah. If you need. No, me. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be hanging outside barbecuing. You know, or whatever. Oh, that sounds pretty so, good too. Yeah. How yeah. is it, how is that Kentucky barbecue? That's what I want to know. Oh man, it depends. A lot of places, like uh, same with Nashville, the good barbecue is really like the guy at the gas station who just like sets up barbecue, like on the weekends, a little tent, or somebody who has like a food truck. Yeah, you know, that's always the um, way. Yeah, or somebody that has a party. I remember in Nashville, <clears throat> around the corner, there was one big house, and they used to just pull, somebody used to just pull up with a with a homemade barbecue thing at back of their their car and there'd be like 50 people just from the neighborhood having barbecue you know (laughs) so yeah it was pretty good there was a couple of places i liked um yeah it's there's some of the local stuff i'm trying to remember exactly because after a while in the beginning we were like yeah let's go out and get this place but the longer you're there the the more the places that you like disappeared you know <laughs> what what about like a, what, what place in Jersey do you miss? Oh, it's Lodi Pizza for 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 you know for sure. Uh, Hank's Frank's, which is right across the street, across the highway, and then Pizza Town, which is up up to the, in the next town. You know, it's like people like, oh, well, it's just pizza. I'm like, no, each each place is different. Yeah, you know. It's oh, like, absolutely, it's, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, yeah, you would know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you have. You have your favorite pizza place. Then if you're not in that neighborhood, you have the next best pizza place. You could go over there. Well, we're here. Let's go there. Oh, that place is all right. I Yeah, I had at least five or six pizza places. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I used to tell people, too, when I was growing up in Jersey, there was a pizza place like every two blocks. No, I mean, every, every not every two blocks, but every like 10 blocks or whatever, you know, and and they were like, well, how could that be? He was like, well, the people who live from here to here would only go from here to there to get yeah, pizza. Like, true. they wouldn't go past this place. Why do I have to go past here? I like this place fine. So, yeah, we had we had our favorite places. Got, but as soon as, yeah. I got, I live in West Babylon. And I, yeah. right now, on my block, there's, uh, let's see, one, two, there's probably like four blocks and there's three pizzerias. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, awesome. I, I only go to one. <laughs> Yeah, exa- well, exactly, and yeah, I, I totally missed that, and also, um, there's places in New York I used to go to when, you know, we were doing Sam Hain and the Misfit stuff that all that time, like Mamoon's Falafels on A Street, um, there was a place Glenn and I used to go get, it's, we used to call it Suvlaki, but they also call it Shawarma, um, it's just Pete, Peter bread stuff, it's just like lamb, that lamb that hangs up, you know, yep. they... they they got, yeah, whatever the hell that's called, yeah. you know, um, I, I really miss that because you can't get that really anywhere else. Um, I mean, I've been everywhere unless you're in like Greek town or somewhere. Um, you can't really get that lamb, whatever the hell that is, that 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 big liquid mush of meat, that they, <laughs> whatever. Circle, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that actually is because no animal looks like that, you know, so, it's so probably, I don't know, but I, I love it. I really miss that. It's probably a um, few different animals pressed together in some. Yeah, it's pressed. It's, it's like it's 
it's a huge lamb McNugget is what it is, <laughs> you know. Uh, but oh, and hot dogs. I mean, um, I I have chili dogs at least once a week, but I make them because I know exactly what I want because of all the places. My favorite is, it was Hanks and Lodi on Route Forty Six. So yeah. in New York, you know, push cart dirty water dogs. You know, I, I miss that shit. Yeah, you know? I'm 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 I got no problem with the dirty water dog whatsoever. I'm yeah. All about it. But speak speaking of speaking of NYC. So okay. Um. To me, the two greatest American punk bands of all time are the Misfits and the Ramones. To me, like that, like they are, like I, I don't have any other you know band tattoo other than a fucking Crimson Ghost because when I heard somebody made me walk among us and it fucking blew my wig. And I think I, I, I heard you say that they were probably one of your favorite bands of all time too, right? Yeah. Well, of course, especially back then, it's just like yeah, I love the Ramones because they were just New York to, to me and. You could go see him, and my sister had gone seeing him in Seabees. I saw him, you know, other places. But yeah, and the Misfits were like, you know, especially when we were friends. Anybody who liked the Misfits were like all in. You know, it's like, yeah, the Misfits is the greatest. It's like, wish they play more. It's just like I, I often said as as a fourteen year old me skateboarding, listening to Walk Among Us. I said one day. This if this band were to reunite, they could sell out MSG because I knew I knew every year some fourteen year old picked up Walk Among Us or or any other the records, and I knew eventually it was just going to be to the point where Glenn couldn't ignore it, or you know they would have to get along. And, and I saw them uh, at MSG yeah. with Rancid and the Damned, and it was probably the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. So it's just, <laughs> it's it's amazing, like, for, for you to to have seen them in those, like, you know, you probably saw Misfit show where there was only, like, 10 people. You were there officially yeah. photographer, Yeah, I right? did. There was more like 50 people, but, you know. But, yeah, see, that, that didn't surprise me at all, but I was just like, Jesus, it only took 40 fucking years, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and 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 I could just see like I wasn't I wasn't you know around, but I had talked to Jerry um, when they first they did some festival or some something the first time riot fest and I call yeah and I called him like the next day or the next week or whatever and I said so how'd it go you know I said I saw oh, I seen some video of the show you guys sounded good I said and then I told him I said. You you got that big screen behind you. You're not doing anything with it because they only had like six pictures and it just kept changing through the whole show. But that's all I was like, dude, you're paying for that big screen. You should you should be using more stuff, you know, or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, we're working on that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, 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 but yeah, I, I thought, I thought for sure, because I remember Glenn telling me back then, like after they had broken up, Jerry said crazy stuff like that. He would say like, "Yeah, Glenn, call call the guard and tell him the Misfits want to play." And there was, and he's like, "Dude, you can't you can't just call the garden and tell him the Misfits want to play. You have to rent out the garden or get a promoter to rent out the garden." And it's like we can't fill that place. It's like yeah, it's like eighteen thousand or whatever it is. And the Misfits were drawing like fifty people in New York. You know, it's like yeah, tell them that we want to play the garden. So. I'm sure Jerry was just like, told you, told you we we're going to play the garden. You know, 40 years later, it doesn't matter. 40 years later, told you we we're going to play the garden. Sold it out, too. I was just like, yeah, we, everybody always thought that was going to happen anyway. You know, so you realized it was going to oh, take sorry. forever. 
So you started out playing drums with Rosemary's Baby, like um, uh, Sam mentioned. And uh, how did you end up uh, playing with Glenn and getting involved with him, which eventually became Sam Hain? Because I know they, they asked you to be in the Misfits at one point, right? Or Yeah, I was um, I was just, I played drums, you know, not, I didn't have drums, but I, I wanted to play drums eventually. So I took some, some lessons at like bo- the boys club that had a fife and drum tour in uh, Lodi. And my friend was a really good drummer and he did that shit, but he only did it because I don't think he had a drum kit yet. So that's the only drum he could play on was big marchings there. And it was just a thing that like, I kind of like let it lax. And then when I got back into high school, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, you get into punk rock. It's like, Oh, what can I play? You know, it's like, yeah. well, always, always like to, always like to play drums. I should, I should practice again. So I started practicing again. And Doyle said, like, you should learn Misfit songs because we always need a drummer. So that was my incentive. And I started writing songs and just just basically practicing beats wherever I could, mostly on the mattress on my bed. I put big holes in it, you know. And and it, that was just it. Then I started my own band because the Misfits at the time, you know, they didn't need a drummer. So I was like, I'll start my own band. And just bought a drum kit, you know, like 150 bucks, 200 bucks maybe. And, uh, and just was, I was already friends with Doyle since like eighth grade. And he was just like, Oh, you know, we need pictures. That's, that's how I met Glenn was when I was going to take pictures. But I knew Jerry from playing basketball. We played at the same court once in a while and we were just friends. So it was just like, if you were a punk rock guy, you know, in Lodi, and you played something, you'd most likely be in a band with somebody else, you know, that you went to high school with. So it just was uh, circumstances, really. I think everybody in the bands in the beginning were all, you know, could get to rehearsal, either had a car or lived in the same town and somebody else could pick you up or you could walk there, you know. So it just kind of happened. And Glenn and I got to be more friends and we're talking and hanging out, going to movies, you know, just doing what friends do and started talking more about, you know, being in a band. And then it just, just happened. He was just like, uh, this is what I want. You know, band should be like this and everybody should do this. And everybody should do that. <laughs> it was just like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's, I'm like, that's what I want too. You know? And I like, he was like, yeah, I like all spooky stuff too. And, you know, I was like, we should do a band. And it's like, yeah, okay, let's do a band or whatever. He's just like, I want to do this. And these guys are paying the ass. And they're, they want to do this. And I don't want to do that and stuff. It's like, cause yeah, it's basically somebody just, I was talking, was talking to Brian Baker and he was doing a podcast and he, he mentioned that time when him and Glenn and um, Lyle were, were going to try to do a band together. And he said, basically, if you wanted to do whatever Glenn wanted to do, everything would be fine, you know? And I was just like, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, <laughs> it's like, as long as you do what Glenn wants, you're good. So, and I was just like, well, I didn't care. I wanted to do what Glenn wanted at that time. I was just like, yeah, I was totally into the same shit. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be in a band with this guy. You know, you know, you need, so, you need that good driver. And, 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 uh, you know, when you're in yeah. a band, like he just had, I mean, I would imagine just like Glenn just had those that that vision and goddamn, like from the Misfits to Sam Hain to Danzig, like did he just really progress? <laughs> oh yeah, it's really crazy if you if you look at the whole the whole thing. Um, 
like the Sam Hain had to happen. I don't think he could have went from Dan, um, Misfits and Danzig, you know, that smoothly. He had to write all the songs, get that all out of his system. It was just a progression. That's, you know, I always thought that was good. It was kind of like each band just evolved into the next one. You know, it is so a logical it, progression. Like when yeah, you look at the yeah. career, that and how was the? I, I was a huge Sam Hain fan. November's Coming Fire, one of my favorite albums of all time. What was? Yeah, like the, it's a great record. Oh, it's so good. And the songwriting process for that was it equally distributed with you guys, or is it how? How did it work behind the scenes? No, forget it. Not back then. I barely knew. Like I couldn't even. I didn't even know where the notes were. I just played everything <laughs> by sight. Yeah. And I've like I've heard stuff. I'm like, oh Christ! I'm not even playing the right note there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Glenn was already he was he as a songwriter. What I recall because you know over the years just talking about stuff or just seeing it happen. Um, he he would he would always just write songs, and I do the same thing after all these years. You just write what you write. And if it's right for the band you're in at the time, then you say, okay, well, I'll show this to the other guys. But if it's all of a sudden it's a country song or something, you go like, oh, what the hell was that? And then you just write it anyway, and then you put it on the shelf and say, well, I'll give that to somebody else or I'm never going to use that. So I think the Misfit stuff, he was he was already writing from what he told me. A couple of songs for a band, his next band, it didn't exist yet, but he already had it in his head this isn't right for these guys and this you know this is what the misfits do this wasn't right this will be for the next band or for maybe some soul side project some you know so it just uh, he still does that today i'm sure that's how we got the songs johnny cash and roy orbison and stuff he already had those songs written probably you know just like oh yeah i've got a johnny cash song yeah amazing yeah so you just you just do that so it's whatever project you're working on, you know, because um, this happened during Sam Haynes. He was like, oh, this song's not, you know, it's too poppy or this song is more of a misfit song or whatever. So, you know, just weed out the stuff that was right for the project. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you listen, the songs all have this cohesion and the lyrics got so much better, I think, during the Sam Haynes period. Oh, yeah. um, they were just so much more interesting. And um, there's stuff like, like uh, Unholy Passion is totally different from the other two records, I think. And that was just the, that was the way Glenn was thinking, what he was listening to, or just what we were into at that period of time. To me, it didn't make any sense. Like, why put out an EP when we got to pay the same amount, like for the, for the record, for the sleeves, everything? It just the recording costs would be a little bit less. Well, let's just put do four more songs. We'll have a whole album. Then we could charge for a whole album, you know, it just makes more sense to me, you know. And uh, but that period, I think, just had to come out and then move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why the bands, you know, all ha- had their purpose, you know. It's a, it's amazing. Like, like uh, once you go from like Sam Hand to Danzig, like it's it's the lane that was created. You guys didn't really sound like anything no. like it, like you guys got lumped up with i guess metal but it, it was just like it was more so, than that somebody described it and i thought it was perfect because i know uh glenn's a big morrison fan so it was like the doors meets like the misfits meets black sabbath and heavy blues heavy yeah. blues it's just that first record it's like 
like when you start recording that, I, I think you started recording that in, in September of 87, um, like these new songs that, that ended up on the first Danzig record, like what were you thinking like when the material was coming out and you guys were, were playing it? Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly. I used to record all the rehearsals somewhere. I have uh, like boxes of cassette tapes of us like working on the songs. <laughs> I'm not sure where they are, but I know they exist. I'm trying to remember exactly. Some of the songs were already Sam Hain songs, like Twist, there, Twist there was and like, King, right? A, yeah, uh, Possession. Uh, I'm trying to remember. We already were doing um, Trouble by Elvis. So that was a Sam Hain song or arrangement. So that was going to go along. We recorded that on every Danzig record, just never came out. Um, so some, it was maybe about five or six songs that were probably already fleshed out, you know, and then the rest of them came along as they normally do. Like Glenn would show up and he'd go, oh, I got this lyric and I got this riff. And he would say, oh, it sounds like this, sounds like that. John would go, <laughs> awesome. he, John would go, oh, you mean like this? He's like, yeah, but not that note there. He'd go like, well, how about this? And he goes like, yeah, but I don't like, you know, where you're playing it. Play it over here. Or I, he he goes, it doesn't sound, you know, scary enough or spooky enough. or it doesn't sound. So John would show him seven different ways to play this chord or this riff or whatever. And he'd go, yeah, that one. And then we go, okay. So it's so like, that's how the song starts. Okay, let's do that. You know, then you do it like eight times. You know, then go, okay, now where does it go? Oh, well, we could do this. You know, we could go here. Well, it needs another part. You know, whatever. And that's, that's you know, how basically, you know, the songs would happen. Did it wasn't already, if, if Glenn didn't go, okay, guys, this is the song and pick up a guitar or whatever and, or, you know, hum it. Um, then it was just a process, you know, like everybody else, you did, know, it's did, just like, did John and, and Chuck come first or, or was the Rick Rubin introduction first? Oh no, Chuck and John were there before Rick, uh, or right at the same time, but they were, um, I think they, yeah, I think they were all, uh, you know, like a big new change at the same time, like a influence on everything. But yeah, John was the first guy to show up. And then Chuck showed up. And then, yeah, and Chuck and Rick were probably at the same time. Because we weren't really doing anything with Rick except having conversations and going out to dinner and things like that. Just talking about music and concepts of bands. Like, Ruben was really into the 70s thing. Like, Led Zeppelin, you know, ACDC, Black Sabbath, like these iconic bands with iconic members. That was the whole thing. It wasn't just the one guy it was it was a band with four strong personalities that's what made those records you know those the zeppelin records sabbath that those four guys at that particular time and he, he liked that whole not having the name of the band on the cover stuff like that um having a gatefold your first record and it's a gatefold with a big picture of you looking pissed off <laughs> that takes a lot of balls you know that's that's like People weren't really doing that, and it was a 70s thing, and I got big-ass sideburns. Well, just look at some of those old records. We looked like some of those guys, you know? Yeah, it was, it that... was, it was great. Like, I, I like the, the, the very – to me, like, I feel like, like – um, uh, 
it, the band was called Danzig, but it, there was four members. Like you knew John Christ, you knew fucking Eerie Vaughn, you knew Chuck Biscuits, and obviously Glenn. So it, it felt like a full band, and and to me, this was like, goddamn, this was the lineup, man. Like yeah. this is the lineup we want. Like if one day we get a reunion, like this is the fans fucking... have been calling for, asking for, begging for a reunion. When that crew, was there ever any talk of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Alert. No. When as soon as, when, when um, I remember I remember when Chuck Chuck left and then he joined Social Distortion. Um, like I went and saw him like a year later. Uh, I think he was only with them for like a year. Um, and I don't know if I was talking to John or not. Um, but. I think there was talk like there was like we we should just do the band and just get another singer, you know. We were just like, you know, I don't know if anybody was doing that at the time, but yeah, it was kind of kicked around, but it wasn't realistic. We were just like, nah, you. It, Glenn was the, the the fucking the guy who was coming up with most of the stuff, and almost ninety percent of it because. We were like, I don't know about the, those two guys. I wasn't nearly a good songwriter yet. Um, Glenn was already writing good songs. It's just like the same thing in Sam Hain. I was just like, this guy's a great singer, writes great songs, and I like his lyrics and stuff like that. I was just like, I think I'll just play the bass. You know, um, this guy's got that covered, you know. And I'm sure John had riffs and things. Um, and Glenn even said, you guys, you know, want to write songs, just bring them down. And we were like, yeah, we've seen you've said that before, <laughs> you know, it's just like he, he he wouldn't sing anybody else's songs. You can't write lyrics for Glenn. No, you know, I can't imagine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, he, music. He, you know, he he likes he likes plenty of old songs that he would like, he, you know, favorite songs, make them on tapes and stuff and listen to them or whatever. But he carefully chooses what songs he likes to listen to or maybe to do a cover of and he has to like the words and shit and half the time he'll change them you know but when you're a singer and you have a real big personality you know we'll call it that um you, it's really hard to write for somebody else you have to be really in sync with that person to be able to sing someone else's words and like want to and make them believable and stuff. So, like Chuck never, you know, Chuck writes songs too. He's like, he never said no. You know, John was just really. If it wasn't for John, Glenn's ideas never would have came out. You know, because like I said, a lot of the stuff was listening to that little. We had these little memo mic uh, cassette recorders. That had the little type micro cassettes. You know, carry those around, and when you hear a song on the radio, you go, "Oh man, write something like this," or. You know, or you got an idea and you got to hum it so you don't forget it. So we had these little cassette recorders. So he would be sitting there going, okay, it's here somewhere. You know, we can't fucking find it now. You know, fast forwarding us on it. Fuck, rewind it. Fuck, maybe it's on the other side. You know, so then it would just be like, this is what I remember or whatever. And we just basically go, you know, and you go, oh, like this. Yeah. You know. So, Aaron, yeah, it's so great. And what I, what was it like for you too? We, I thought we're it was really important in in all bands, and the reason bands break up besides you know money problems, is it too much, or he wants to sing, or the bass player wants to write songs, or wants to do this. 
you know, it's like, bro, you got to know your your role in the band, or else the band's not going to work. You know, you got to have the right temperament. Each guy's got to be able to get along with each other, and you got to do what's good for the song. So it's like, yeah, this is what if if I'm going to just play this or not play that. That's fine. Whatever the song wants, you know. So that that's the way I looked at. I was Sam Hain too. I told Glenn when we were doing Sam Hain. I'm like, well, why don't you just call it Glenn Danzig and something, you know? And he goes, no, I want it to be a band, you know. So that that was it. And the whole thing was just like, yeah, four guys that are really strong, but know, you know, what to play, what not to play, and really know your place within the band. That makes a great band. You know, so that's that's what we did. We weren't concerned about, you know, I got to go, hey, I want to sing a song. You know, it's like, come on. It's like, you got Glenn. Why don't you just play bass, dude? You know? When we were talking before about uh, about the garden and stuff, what was that like for you, too? Because you were, uh, you know, you came from these humble punk rock roots, and now you're in an <laughs> arena touring band. Like, how did you like that touring lifestyle and, and that schedule? Because you guys were playing with Slayer and Metallica and whatever. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I, I I loved it. I always wanted to be a fucking rock star anyway. You know, I mean, when I was like a little kid, you know, I was listening to Elvis and I was like, saw Elvis on TV, you know, like that year, well, 1973, he had his worldwide telecast. And I was like, so eight, nine years old. And I was watching that. And um, I was just like, bought the record stuff. And I was just like, I want to do this. You know, this is cool. This, everybody loves this guy. He's pretty cool. You know, so I wanted to do that. So I, I didn't have a problem. And I always liked the showbiz part of it. You know, the the, the autographs and, you know, like the, uh, the Beatles, the, the girls chasing you down the street. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Here, here's, you know? here's the best part, I think. And I have no idea. <laughs> I'll tell you this. Not having to move your, not having to move your cab to and from oh, yeah. the stage. I'm, oh yeah, totally. I'm playing, oh yeah, that was the first. That's the first thing I liked. I'm playing, I was like, fuck I'm, this shit. We had to drive yeah. and then set up the gear and then do the show and then you know talk to people and then break down and then drive again. But yeah, as soon as we got a bus, which took forever, we got we got on the bus. I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. You know, hey, so you, like, you put in your fucking dues, though. Like you, it, it wasn't <laughs> like like you were. You know, you grinded. You were. I'm sure you were traveling around in in the early '80s. <laughs> you know, looking for gas money. Oh yeah, we played gigs just to get from one place to the next. Yeah, and we broke we broke down in the middle of nowhere and got stuck for two days with no food, no money. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, yeah, it, it, you know, it was it, getting out of the van was the best thing ever. You know, so I I was just like, yeah, I'm home. So I feel I feel bad for no, I don't really feel bad for a month. But like, fuck you guys guys are just like you know it's like yeah it's our first record they're already on a bus you know they're staying in hotels i'm like fuck you you don't know what you're doing <laughs> the, you know um the first time i ever heard a misfit song it was covered by metallica like <laughs> right yeah, so like funny. i i heard last Care like you know last caress and green hell oh that's so that's too that's too bad yeah, well, I mean, I, listen, I was nine when I heard it. So. Well, okay. right, well, at least at least that got you to the right place. Oh, it yeah. got me to the right place. So uh, were you like, it's kind of a trip that I know like Headfield did backup uh, vocals on this record. Were you there for any of those sessions or not? 
No, um, I can't remember the circumstances. I was usually always around. Um, I can't figure out why. Must have just happened, like, or um, I don't know. I never, I either I asked them or I don't remember asking them. So I can't remember the story. I just knew it was one of those things like, yeah, Glenn was doing vocals. Um, I didn't need to drive him, so I didn't go. Um, and he was just like, yeah, James is in town. He called him or whatever, or somebody had called him. Cause usually when those guys came down, they called me cause he, Glenn probably didn't give him his phone number. Um, so Ruben must've called him. I don't remember exactly, but yeah, Glenn would be just like, yeah, James came down and sang, sang back up on some songs. I'm sure it wasn't more than, than like, yeah, it was all right. You know, yeah. it's no big deal. <laughs> You know, it. he's like, yeah, he can't really sing, but you know, whatever. I love it. He's like, he he really like, he really wanted to do it. I'm pretty sure that's the way it went. I James I, like, let me sing on something. Let me yeah. sing on something. You know? I believe it. I believe it. Um, yeah, it, it had to be because he was such a big white eyed type. He's more like a big kid sometimes, you know. Um, so yeah, he's finally like, I want to sing on that one. Yeah. Uh, he, listen, he yeah, picked, he yeah. picked two good ones for sure. Um, I I just want to say. So for me, Danzig Two Lucifuge is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. Yeah, I really like that one. It's yeah. a masterpiece that I could listen to from the time I heard it with with the with the album cover that almost reminded me of LL Cool J's album cover at the same time. Um, it, it, oh yeah, yeah, he did that thing when he was holding the medallion. Yes. Yeah. See, but our original album cover idea wasn't that one. It was the one that. You know, like the Doors' first album, that was oh yeah, the, the, real fa- album the faces, cover. yeah, 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 the, the the heads basically. Yeah, the the other one, the other one was just for the CD. That was like supposed to be the CD cover. Was Glenn holding the the cross? Yeah, I don't know if that was somebody's idea or if that was a joke. That sounds like it. Back then, we were we were you know really given that some of the rap guys who were around in the you know because they were all on the same label kind of grief and making jokes or whatever, you know, like they were afraid of us because they thought we were Satan worshippers. <laughs> you know, so it could have been a joke like that. It's just like, or Glenn saw that and said, oh, we should do cover like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's great. I'm going to do the LL. But it, so Lucifuge, it's amazing. So like the first record is great. Everyone loves it. But there's something to Lucifuge that I feel like just gelled. Like everyone, like for, for a long way back from hell, like what a fucking opening track that is, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. And it's just like the right power chords at the right time. You get a song like Killer Wolf, which is just fucking like it, – it, like it's no no one was doing this like it was like uh like goth blues really mm. shout out to black rebel motorcycle club that do it now but um her black wings uh the song girl deep cut mm. very under underrated and uh a song that my band covers blood and tears man it's like yo blood and tears like what what, what was going like what was the vibe like recording this record listening to these songs yeah, I thought it was good because, yeah, now it's like the band. We all moved to California, you know. We're we're this is all we're doing. Nobody's got regular jobs or anything. It's like hundred percent. We're in L.A. This it was a really good time, and the band's like really starting to gel. You know, everybody knows what to do. Everybody's playing well with each other. You know, we're starting to get more to where we're working the songs out and Glenn's like showing up on Friday, you know, stuff like that. It was, <laughs> that was held over from Jersey where the band rehearsed three times a week 
<laughs> like for three hours a day and Glenn would show up once in a while, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would go, all right, well, same thing. He must've learned different movement. Okay. Where, where are we at? I was like, I'd be like, yeah, well, that's, you know, we're, we're learning, you know, we're, we're, we're working the songs out. We're putting them together. You know, we're doing this. It sounded really good. He goes, all right, call me on Friday. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay. He was like, you want to come down and hear what's how they sound? It's like, okay. And he comes down. He's like, he's got to work out the lyrics. He had everything written down in these little pieces of paper that he carried in this little, it wasn't a notebook. It was this little folder. And he didn't have a lot of words. I'm like, that's the song? I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to write another verse. I'm like, he had like two two verses and that was it. I was like, where's the rest of the song? You know? And uh, it was just a really good time. Um, and I still had to write down all the arrangements on big pieces of paper because i was just like i can't remember all the songs and so i would just i would just write everything down on like during lucifage we had the walls were covered in uh like drawing paper so chuck during in between songs you just go around to the wall and start doodling because that's how that's what he does when he's not playing drums you know so i just took big pieces of paper and wrote down the arrangements hey Gee, that's how I did it, you know. What were some of your like, favorite songs to play live off that record? Oh, I like the whole record except for Girl. Ah. Um, <laughs> I love the drum solo yeah. on Girl. Oh, yeah, that's all it is. It's the worst song <laughs> we ever did. I can't stand it. Next day, yeah, I, even, I like Mother better than Girl. Yeah, Christ. Okay. Um, yeah, we played Girl like once the whole time we were we were in the band i was like i can't stand this song it's just nothing it's just it's just glenn screaming and we just you know i just hated it yeah, yeah. but i i liked all the i liked the whole album except for that and playing like all those songs seven seven ten like that whole tour and that show you know that show was like it was dramatic you know the band was really good and stuff is the way we played it you know it's like we didn't it wasn't all the way it's mixed or you do this or no we played almost all the the takes on all the records are like one their whole takes or their first takes or second takes you know Uh, almost didn't almost never had to cut drum tracks together remember doing it in a couple of spots to just fix stuff but it wasn't like bands did at the time where they would just cut all the drum tracks and then just overdub everything onto that, you know, like the way Metallica makes records, you know, that kind of shit. No, we played, we all played live in the studio. Glenn was usually in the booth giving us a guide vocal or what he had. Um, And that, and that's how we got all the tracks. And we worked really fast because we knew the songs because we rehearsed all the time and they were constantly working on them to where like every day you went in or, you know, whatever you were getting your part like perfect and chuck was getting you know figuring out where all these little fills and these little nuances were going and by the time we got to roll tape we just had to play you know it's just like and it was a performance and then it was you know that lucifuge really sounds like the way we sounded and if we just put some fucking reverb on the first record it would have sounded more like lucifuge you know so that was the problem. The first record sounded like that first cult record, and it's horrible. And if we had just put some fucking reverb on Glenn's vocals and maybe on the snare drum, it would have sounded better. 
you know so there you go interesting uh yeah and and the touring too like you you know soundgarden coc but then i was doing some digging and uh do you remember opening for the pixies in germany no, we didn't open for them. We were just on the same oh, bill as them. Festival. Festival. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah it did, didn't matter. Yeah, the Pixies, I didn't like them. Ha, um, our, I love the Pixies. Our, 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 tour, <laughs> our tour manager liked the Pixies, and he was, I think he was, um, he might have worked with them or was friends with some of them. I, yeah, I couldn't care less, you know. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've actually got him, the tour manager, walk, um, videotaping something, and he walks up and goes, just talk with the Pixies, you know, or the, the singer from the Pixies goes, he's kind of a dick. And then he, then he goes, doesn't matter. We're going to blow him off stage anyway. And then we just did the show, you know, and uh, I think uh, Baker was on that. I think he was, in, I don't know if Bad Religion was playing or, I don't know, but I remember seeing Baker at one of those festivals and he was wearing a dancing shirt. Nice. You know? Well, yeah, I just had the crowbar of the Pixies in there because I love them. But <laughs> very funny. And they broke up that same year. So they, that's probably why he was. in. The oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for, for doing this, man. This is a lot of fun uh, to really just talk to someone whose music we've been fucking like. I mean, this is such a big deal to us. It's a great October episode. Yeah. Too. Well, you know, as soon as I if I wake up in the morning, that's when my brain's like had a, had a little rest. So it's like easy to talk. Yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, unlike that Pixie singer. What a dick. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know him. I know my old lady loves the Pixies. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I can't believe you didn't listen to the Pixies. She's like, how can you not How can you not like the Pixies? I'm like, first of all, the name is the Pixies. Okay? <laughs> and I said, and I didn't know anybody who liked the Pixies. It's the same reason I didn't listen to The Cure. Because I said, I didn't know any people that were, you know, that went, you know, that persuasion that like bands like The Cure. We played like the c- closest we got to that stuff was Bauhaus, and we liked more like the birthday party people who were like writing psycho crazy shit, you know. <laughs> you know, Bauhaus was just cool because it was really good and it was really spooky and the singer was good, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. But the Pixies, come on, <laughs> nobody, you know, you, I was like, you don't understand if you don't. Um, if you don't have a friend that's into this band or that band, you're never going to find out because usually one of your friends says, hey, you should listen to this band. I just heard this band. They're great. Or I'm going to make you tape of this band. So I was like, nobody's making me a fucking Pixies tape, okay? What about yeah. what about the generation? Because like for me, like we're MTV kids. so like, And you guys were making videos at this time. Um, so what, what was that whole planet like for you guys? Oh, MTV was awful. Um, it was just, it was the worst, it was the worst thing that could ever happen to music. It was just, um, yeah, we couldn't stand it. And it was, there was no way we were getting on there. And all they played was like the same videos over and over again. It was Madonna, Michael Jackson, and Billy Idol. That's like all they played. The cars were on constantly. And I didn't like the cars back then. Um, yeah. And we made, we, it was, we didn't make videos till 88 because we were going to do Sam Hain videos, but it was like, yeah. No way they were going to put that right. stuff on. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like, because we were going to make like porn and like murder videos and just like all kinds of stuff. And well, um, you did, though, with Thrall. Like, it's coming down. I so remember th- having the long play. Uh, of, of Flanagan, the video? The, the the Danzig. It was like a half hour, 40 minute home play VHS oh, yeah, that, that had all the rules. videos where she rides and everything where he's breaking the chicken apart. And I don't think MTV would play that. 
No. Know? Yeah. No, they they did they, they we we sent them the video the first video from Mother were all just and it wasn't even anything. I mean, it was pretty tame. It's just Glenn standing in a pentagram they didn't like, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But um, th- th- whoever was, you know, powers that be back then, they were like, yeah, no, we hate it. No, we're not playing this. And they said, oh, if you edit it, we'll, we might consider it. So we edited it like six times. They wound up playing a version where you can't see anything or they blocked. They used to block shit out. Um, they, they would sense. They'd be like, yeah, then they'd censor it themselves. And so from the beginning, they didn't want to play any of our stuff. And then if we sent them videos for the next song or whatever, they just wouldn't even look at it. So um, it took till we did the live video in like 93 that they, they went, oh, and there was different guys at the network by then. They, they, they go like, oh, this is good. This is just them playing live. Oh, and this is a good song. Oh, let's play this. And, that, that, you know, but before that, forget it. They wouldn't even put us on like 120 minutes or Headbangers Ball. We were on like once a year, you know, or whatever. Yeah, every now and then you see like the uh, uh, How the Gods Kill video and you're like, oh, that's cool. It's two in the morning. Yeah, I remember that one <laughs> yeah, episode exactly. where yeah. Glenn was going to throw I remember throw when, when, when they actually started playing us, and I didn't watch MTV, but every once in a while you'd be going around a dial and all of a sudden – Hey, there we are, you know, and it's like, what time is it? It's like, oh, it's noon. Like, shit, we're on MTV in, in the daytime. And then it's just like, you know, go, oh, let's see if we're on at 530. And then, you know, we'd, we'd come on. And I'm like, see, this could have been happening all, all this time. <laughs> they could have been playing our videos. People would have been buying the records. I mean, you know? I, I think Danzig 3 was huge. I mean, is, is Danzig 3 still your favorite? Yeah, I go back and forth from that and Lucifuge. I don't think I got a copy that I can play. Because I still like to play Lucifuge once in a while, um, but yeah, that, that was the band at the, their, the the top top of our game. You know, like that we were the tightest, had the longest tour at that time and stuff, and we're just really really good band. That's why I like that. And that whole record, the basics took like six days. You know, we recorded fourteen songs in like six days, and that was great. And <laughs> different too, like the song "Anything" was like just mm. fucking. Like really something different. Like when you hear it, uh... I remember. I remember cause like we there was a big thing about like going to this one chord, um, and it's and that song should have been a single. If we had just played it a little faster, it could have been like. It reminds me of one of those cult songs that was usually a hit for them, that kind of thing. <laughs> You're if, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you just sped it up just a hair, it would have had a nice swing to it, and it would have been like a cult song, and it, we probably would have sold a bunch of records. But yeah, there was. I remember going like, we don't, we don't, we don't go to that chord, you know, like it, 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 it was too happy or something. It was like either uh, an A major chord oh, or something. Major. I'm like, well, most. Everything was a minor, yeah. pretty much. So, so I was like, "Yeah, we don't do that chord because it just sounds too happy." But I think we wound up doing it anyway. But you can still you can do those those major chords. You just don't play them like everybody else plays them. You know what I mean? It's it's like you don't do an open A major chord or something like that. You know, whatever. So it doesn't go dang, you know, like the birds. You know. Um, so yeah, but that could, that song was really good. Um, yeah, I liked the whole record. I, I wasn't crazy about Godless because it just sounded, 
It was just a Glenn's big, you know, like walking around posing like, you know, wrestling, <laughs> look at me kind of song, you know. Ah, and I was just like, I, I was going to say, Godless is a great opener. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous, yeah. you know. It was, just, it was just, it was just like, look at me. It's all about the big ego stuff, and like we did a lot of wrestling shit anyway, and you know, way we looked and the way uh, I used to come out and do some of the the things that wrestlers used to do, like you know, goading the crowd and doing shit, you know, but. Yeah, I love the drum bit in the beginning. That was fucking awesome. I remember Chuck, he did like three takes of that and he nailed it. And I was just like, yeah, that's great. But then this this whole middle part where we just kind of walk around the stage and pose and look look at the lights and look at the people. Oh, yeah. I'm just freaking out. So I was just like, yeah, that's a little much. But the rest of it, the, the, the rest of the album, the songs are great, you know. And this everything sounds sounds really good, you know. It's just it's just a really good record. And it was I wish we could have done a video for Brand New God because I had this whole concept Yo, in mind. That's a good. And, I love that album and that song is so good. Yeah, I I just saw Glenn on this this shot. The people have used it since, and I probably saw it somewhere, but. It was had to be Glenn on one of those shots that they they get the helicopter and they're spinning around. He's standing in the middle of like the Grand Canyon on some some little mountain thing and it's spinning around. I'm like that would have been great. He's like screaming up to the heavens, you know. I was like, oh, that would have been good, but we never did a video for that. Plus, we probably couldn't afford that, you know. I was like, that's, that's, no, that's, that, that's like Metallica money. That's, we can't that's do November that. Rain money right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. you know. But at this point, like, you know, you were talking about, like, uh, live songs and stuff. Like, how were you guys picking the set list? Like, or was that just Glenn? No, we just, we, we, since we did all the rehearsing and he wasn't there that often, we started, you know, it was a thing. You would sit and say, well, how, how does this song go into the next song? Or what do you think, you know, it dep- it also depends on how it was tracked on the record, you know, like, the way you pick the songs on the record, it's supposed it's a there's a reason. They're just not twelve songs or whatever. The the songs go the way they go because and so one song would lead into the next song or what what are you thinking at the end of this song that we want to blow your mind with this this in the next track? So the set lists were a lot like that. And like certain what what keys certain songs are in. Okay, we can't play three songs in a row. They're all in the same key. So we're going to have to move this one over here. Tempos, the whole deal. This is all stuff that, that, that me, Chuck, and John would sit there and do. And then Glenn would come down and then we'd go like, here's the set. And he's going like, okay, we'll switch this one with this one. Because now he's thinking, all right, how do I sing these songs in a row like this? Okay, okay, after this one, I'm going to need a break. So let's put Blood and Tears in there. So we can take a little breather after like going after him a hundred miles an hour or whatever, full force. Then we're going to, just like the Ramones, just take a break where I want to be your boyfriend or whatever. Just take everybody, take off the jackets, you know, and, and then this is the part we, we let the audience take a breath and then, okay. Okay. Now that they're relaxed, they're focused, they're seeing us. Okay. Now let's go and we'll hit him again. And then, then take another break in the second half do another slow song, whatever. So that was all stuff that we worked out. And it was just like, oh, I can't sing this song every day, so this song's not going to be in the set every day. It's going to be on the alternate list right at the bottom. Just like, okay, 
we want to do an encore or they want us to do an encore. We had four songs we could play. Want to do that? Let's just do Killer Wolf. You know, let's just do Killer Wolf and then we'll play something else and then we'll go home. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's awesome. I love the the peek behind the curtain. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, I just, like we we could just kind of talk about four real quick. Um, this was the tour that I finally got to see Danzig on. I saw I went to Roseland, R.I.P. Oh man. yeah, good good show. Yeah, yeah. So it was Typo, uh, Godflesh, I believe, uh, and uh, Danzig. And so, what was the vibe on this record? Because this was like the last one. Where where like the the classic lineup was at, and I, let me tell you one thing, I almost feel like I like four better than three. Like I think four is so underrated. It is underrated. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been telling people this like since it came out. That <laughs> they didn't under, they didn't understand it. It's true. Um, and the, if they listened to it like it was a Sam Hain record, like if it was the last Sam Hain record, oh, that's a good and point. Then so, sort of like. The way they do with Star Wars and be like, okay, no, you got to watch this one first or these three come after these three or whatever. So if, yeah, if you put it in that context and you listen to it like that and then just start playing the Danzig records after, it makes a lot more sense. Um, some of the songs could have been uh, older stuff that was never developed. Um, a lot of the songs were more like Sam Hain songs. That, that's the vibe that I, I was, that I got. And I think Glenn and I were the only ones that knew what the record was really supposed to be like. Because, like, Chuck would just be like, yeah, you know, I'll just play whatever. Or, you know, we just, we'd say, give us this. By then, we could just yell out, give us this kind of beat. We need this beat. Or we want something like this. Which was pretty much we, all you'd have to do with Chuck anyway. Say, I need something like a John Bonham thing with a little keep boom thrown in here and, you know, whatever. And, you know, I like the songs. They were they were just more, I don't know, emotional. And like John didn't understand them. He thought they weren't finished. He's like, we need more rehearsal on this. These songs aren't fleshed out enough. They sound like demos. You know, I'm like, no, no, this is the way the song is. You know, there's no rules. You write the song. This is the way I want the song, whatever. This is, this is it. This is the song. Just, just play. Just do your thing. Yeah, an interesting like, can't speak was like an interesting sure. choice too for for uh, a single. But I'm, I'm gonna say my favorite songs going down to die, uh, until yeah. you call on the dark, bringer of death, banger, uh, son of the morning star, and I don't mind the pain. I think that yeah. those five songs represent. Yeah. There's good, there's good stuff, and it's a, there's a lot of different type of styles and things on there. And um, oh, what was the one you were just saying? Oh. Can't speak. Uh, yeah, going down to die is just a oh, yeah. straight like Danzig song. That's what always reminded me of like something you know that could fit in anywhere. Um, and um, oh, I like Sun in the Morning Star. I really liked until Glenn put that refrain on there, and I was just like, I oh, ruined it <laughs> um, because I, I had heard it before. And that song I really liked, and I remember recording that one, and we used to do it for sound check now and again, and because. It was just, it was very delicate. To me, it was kind of jazzy. Yep. And then, and we had to play it that way. And I remember recording it so well because it was a lot of nuances and we had to play it like it was a show. And you, if we, we needed it to be really quiet, then we played fucking super quiet. Like we didn't ride the faders or anything and just play this all. No, it was a performance and it was really, really good. And I was really happy with it. And I just didn't like, you know, I could see Glenn because Ruben was 
was was doing probably the vocal tracks on that and i could see him saying oh we need something in here oh sing sing sun in the morning star in this part over and over again and i was just like when i heard that i was just like oh it's terrible <laughs> it was because it was because it was so much better without it and and the um the way the guitars came in this sort of reminded me of like a led zeppelin kind of track you know with all these little you know the loud soft stuff and little intricate little bits and then big guitars and just fucking coming balls out you know so yeah, that it's a good record, and, and more people are telling me now after all these years how misunderstood it was, and uh, how it's really that it, it's a great record. I'm like, yeah, I know, I was there. I was like, <laughs> you people just got on board like 25 years later. It might have been the you times, know? you know. Like, yeah, I feel like yeah. Well, at, no, everybody didn't. All the people who bought the last record because mother was on it or saw the video wanted more of that stuff, and the, that's not where the band was at. And we came out with a record that was different than the last one, which was different than the one before, you know, so that's just the way it is. And you either get it or you don't, you know, so, you know, we just all the people who bought the mother, bought it for mother and watched that video. They didn't buy the record. They were like, this, this don't sound nothing like mother, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, fuck this. And all our other fans, you know, bought it. And that's I, why it sold I, like half as many copies. I bought it you for know? It's Coming Down. Sure. It's Coming Down was the shit. Yeah, but that was on Thrall. No, I know. I'm you just know? saying. I'm just saying yeah. on that one. Yeah, with the band. Oh, I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. That's just like evil thing like on steroids, you know, because it's the same kind of vibe. But I like both of those. But, uh, yeah, It's Coming Down was – I always loved playing that. And – uh Oh, the video was ridiculous. I like the the band. You know, there's a band version where it's just us playing, and it's really it's really cool. It's basically if you put us in a room that size with a bunch of people, that's what you're gonna get. And because we still played some small places now and then just for fun, you know. And uh, yeah, that that was great. All the other like crazy like sex club stuff and all that other shit, we, we weren't even there for that. <laughs> we we left. You, Why, know, they, you didn't, you didn't see Bob stick a, you didn't see Bob stick a, a, a spike through his dick. <laughs> no, we, no, we were we were in this. It was like it was like summer in fucking L.A. We were in a fucking old warehouse, and we were there for like ten hours. It was a million degrees, and we, you know, I was just like that. Was, I I just said I went around to each guy in the band, and I said, "This is bullshit. I'm leaving. What are you doing?" I said, this guy's got enough footage of us playing. We did the song like 10 times. This is bullshit. I'm going home. And I go to John's like, give me a ride. I'm like, yeah, or whatever. And John's like, yeah, fuck this shit. I I don't give a fuck. I'll I'll go home too. So I go to Glenn and I go, look, the band's tired. We've been here all day. It's fucking hot. I said, that guy's got enough footage of us. We're leaving. He goes, okay. (laughs) So we just left and he stuck around and took pictures and I think I took a couple pictures that day. I can't remember because I don't have the film. But, yeah, I think I took shots of him doing some of the background shit that never got in. But he, I think he stuck around. But for the most part, we didn't know any of that shit was coming on. I just, first time I saw it, I said, where's the chicks? I said, there's no broads in this video. There's nothing <laughs> but, like, gay guys and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with this. I've been to clubs like this. But where's the chicks? I said, see, you're talking MTV, Headbangers, Ball, whatever. Our audience is all men. I was like, 
you got to put some tits in this video. You know, <laughs> it never happened. You know, how did um this era of this golden era of the band? How did it come to a close for you? Was it just going in a different direction? Did you guys all leave, or what? How did this all come to a stop? I don't know. We got to uh, after we recorded the fourth album. I mean, things were a little weird then anyway. Mm. Um, just different vibe. You can tell. That's why the record sounds different. It's like it depends on how everybody's mood was and everybody, where everybody was uh, personally and like relationships and, you know, where everybody was living, you know. So that all reflects on what the record sounds like. Um, and then we get the Metallica tour and we're like, oh, great, whatever, you know. Um, so we get on that and in the middle of that or, or right towards the end, Chuck says he doesn't want to be in the band anymore. So we're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so we finished the tour and then it's like, Oh, now what do we do? And that was pretty much it. You know, once Chuck left the band, I was just like, yeah, this is not going to work anymore. You know? Mm. Um, but John and I said, well, we'll stay till the end of the record cycle. You know, like, you know, you, when you're, you know, in a band, you know, you, you would commit. So it was like, well, if we got to make four videos and we have to be there and make the videos, we have to do TV. We do, you know, we do that. You got to do the tour. You got to do all the promotion, the photos, whatever that shit is. And then when that's done and you don't have any more commitments, then you can decide, well, you know, I want to leave the band or I want to do this or I want to do that. So after Chuck left, John and I stayed till the end of the cycle. And once that was done, we both said, okay, well, we're leaving, you know? So mm. that was it. It was really no big deal. It was just like another, another uh, record, another tour. Yeah. And just like, that's the way it worked out. There's, you know, things end. That's yeah. just the way it goes. And you know? guys, it's just like, you'll always have just everything, everything that you've done. It's like, you know, especially like when you look at Danzig, it's like those first four records, like, that's a fucking, that's like four bangers in a row, you know? It's just something to, to look at and be proud of, I think. Sure. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I, you know, but I looked at the, all the Misfit stuff the same way. It's just like a progression, and then you got your your big, great album, you know, and then your other album is pretty good, you know? And then just what happened, all that, you know? The, it was just a whole progression of stuff, and for Glenn, like a big body of work, you know? And just, you know, it was it's good. And it, the, by the time we got to Danzig, there was a really good period there, like, you know, eight, nine years, where, <coughs> you know, um, well, the whole thing, yeah. But where everything was just gelling. So, yeah, there you go. We put out some good records, and then that's it. Then we put out a whole bunch of crappy ones. You know, so. <laughs> well, listen, I'm looking forward to the Danzig 2023 Riot Fest reunion. Yes. Oh yeah, with sure. The, with the classic, right? Line. right. <laughs> Beat the yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think John. I think John's probably on a, you know, sabbatical somewhere, like where he's teaching, you know, poor children in Somalia how to play guitar or something. I don't know. He's kind of on an Angelina Jolie trip or something. Good. But, Just call the garden um, and yeah. tell them you're ready you know, to play. And like, yeah, and, and no one knows. No one knows where Chuck lives, and um, and. I can't. I couldn't tour. I can't hardly walk. So you know, Glenn can just go do what he's doing, and you know, they could do like Beatlemania. You know, I'll yeah. I'll call the garden for you guys and get back to you. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. Put tell, tell him Glenn. Tell him Glenn wants to play. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, like, wrapping up. Are you working on anything new you want to talk about? 
Yeah, I, I just have to mix a new, a new record. It's just with COVID stuff. And I'm in Kentucky now. I recorded it in Nashville. Awesome. And, you know, so it's just getting down there when everybody's around um, or available. Everybody's got other lives and jobs and things. So I've just been waiting. I haven't been, been down there in like a month or two. So I'm just waiting for the studio to be finished, too. They built a, a separate studio. And uh want to mix it and then put it out this coming year, you know. And I got another book that's supposed to be coming out. So yeah, M- misery obscure. Like I'll put the links up to that too, you know. Like the the picture on that amazing yeah. photos. Yeah. So Bazillion. I got you know, yep. follow follow up to that thing, you know. And that's it. And you know, might do a convention here and there, you know, horror conventions and stuff. Hell yeah. But. Yeah, I just want to get the the record out because I've been wanting to do it for a while, and you know, and it's really good, and it's bet it's it's better than the last one, and it's different than the last one, and all the songs are different. And it's great. And it's got a bunch of cool people from Nashville playing all kinds of shit on it, you know. So you just know, mentioned it's like a real record, you know. <laughs> you just mentioned horror conventions, and we're about to do our Halloween episode too. Is it? Any you? I imagine you're a big horror fan this time of year. Any uh, go-to films? What's your three favorite horror films? I'd love to know. Oh, favorites! Oh, I like I my most favorite is Night of the Living Dead. You know, that's just from you know the old days. He's he's wearing a Romero shirt right now. (laughs) I am. Yeah, I I love that, and um, that was one of the ones that really blew my mind. Um, And I like throughout really horror film, but I like um, Angel Hearts, one of my favorite films. Um, De Niro, Lisa Bonet, Mickey Rourke, uh, I think Brian De Palma directed. And I don't like The Shining, you know. It's I I don't go in for so I don't go in for slasher films really. Um, I I, Glenn was always into gore fests. I was never a big fan of that. I like more suspense and spooky shit and i like all the old monsters i like all the universal monster stuff that's always been where you know what i grew up on and got me into everything was just the monsters and i still love that shit when you know it's it's still my favorite i'm still buying a frankenstein shirt or or a poster of you know bride of frankenstein or something because it's too cool and i gotta have it the classics never go out of style you know yeah it's just great shit um yeah listen when the record's done Send me the link. You know, we'll put it all over anything yeah, just to put I'll, it out I'll, there. Yeah, I'll post it and stuff, and yeah. you know, let people know. Who knows when that's going to be? It's just I'm, I'm just in t- Tennessee's really bad with COVID. It's like worse than than it is here. So I don't know how people are, what people are doing. You know, so. Yeah. Well, thank, <laughs> listen. Thank you so much. Yeah. This this is like a really big deal for us. You know, we we get to talk to a lot of cool random people which you know like that we grew up with or that we admire in, in some way and uh the fact that you took 90 minutes out of your day to talk to us thank yeah. you so much well i stay up late so this is still like early morning <laughs> so. yeah no problem i, I love t- telling the old stories it was fun time i enjoyed it you know appreciate okay. it thank you yeah Eric. open door anytime you have anything you want to talk man we're here Okay, well, you guys have a good day. It was good talking to you. Be good, man. Later, man.